Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome back to a new season of the Landlord Association podcast. Today we have episode 18 that has been long overdue. This was a recording from our last meetup in February featuring Tyson Hua, who is a founding member of the Hua Law Group. But before I introduce Tyson, just want to give you some uh, administrative updates. Sorry we had some uh, technical difficulty that had, and had not published uh, this episode sooner. I had to move the software and content to a new PC and cause some uh, technical delays. So also, with all the coronavirus uh, news going around, that didn't help either. I probably spent way more too much time on Twitter and following all the news. But now, uh, we're all set, and I'm planning to publish more episodes in the coming weeks. And also attended a area event last month and met some panelists from uh, CBRE, Henry Miller, and uh, as well as a couple of entrepreneurs who are focused on development and syndication in the Houston area. So we're going to have some uh, exciting contents coming up in the next couple uh, weeks and months. Also, if there's any topics that you guys and gals want to hear about, please feel free to let me know in the Landlord Association Facebook page or on Twitter at uh, GeorgeGao underscore TXRE. And... Um, so feel free to let me know. All right, uh, with uh, that stuff out of the way, let me introduce uh, Tyson Hua. Tyson is a fantastic new young attorney here in the Houston area. He provides legal services on LLC formations, real estate syndications, contract drafts, reviews, franchising, copyright, trademarks, and also he does some litigation as well. And uh, you hear in this discussion that you know we talk about everything from serious LLCs to trust, uh, you know why people use Wyoming entities, and uh, even we started talking about how to start a um, CBD business. So, and he was very forthcoming, sharing some great stories and practical advice. So, uh, but I don't want to give away too much. Uh, if you want to learn more about Tyson, you can reach him at uh, his website, yourtexasllc.com. It's all one word yourtexasllc.com or 713-300-5075. So without any further ado, hope you enjoy our discussion with Tyson Hua. So, um, you know, I'll kind of warm up the conversation already with some, you know, conversation about taxes and CPA. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to formally introduce him. You know, hopefully I don't suit up and then we're going to dive in. Okay. Um, so yeah, I have an opportunity, you know, Tyson come in highly recommended, you know, from a good friend of mine. I came from, you know, a, a mastermind summit in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of opened my, my, my eyes, you know, about, you know, asset and, uh, and tax planning, you know. The, the people in my brokerage, you know, the two people that uh, I would say two level above me, they are all making close to a million dollars, if not more. Okay, some of them do really well, but some of them, you know, you're talking about, you know, like a guy, um, you know, just making like $20,000 a month, I mean uh, a year, 20000 a year, and all of a sudden, they ride the EXP wave, you know, they ride all the way up their income to like a million dollars, two million dollars in just one or two years. You know, they, they, they internally cannot handle that kind of, you know, money coming in. You know, if they know Tyson, you know, Tyson can help them plan and, you know, this and that. So, you know, long story short, some of them is doing really well. But some of them, let's say, you know, they are making $10,000 a month in debt share or in passive income and they think they got, you know, they, they do something really stupid with it, they got into lawsuit and all that kind of stuff. 
So this is the stuff that you know we talked about today. You know, this is a very high caliber group. You know, everybody here has something going on, but I don't think you know we focus enough on asset protection and tax planning. So this is why you're here, Tyson. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, go ahead and uh, you know how you want to continue with your question. <laughs> like, like we said, my, my specialty, my bread and butter, what I love to do is, is to meet and talk about what you have going on, what assets you own, and how we can organize that in, in a manner that makes sense for you um, with asset protection and tax planning um, in, in mind. So those are kind of the two things that I always try to accomplish um, when meeting with clients. You know, you tell me what you're worried about, what you're concerned about, and what you're trying to do, uh, and then I'll put together, or we'll put together a plan um, that accomplishes all of those goals, but also minimizes your tax liability as much as possible and then protects your assets. Uh, so I don't really have a presentation here today. I just want to kind of give you some tips, tricks. I can share some horror stories if you want um, and then answers, do some Q&A. Um, can we start with your background? Yeah, sure. So uh, I uh, um, went to school here at U of H um, for my undergrad and then went to South Texas for law school. Uh, while I was in law school, I started working. I worked at a couple different firms, but um, the one that's relevant is uh, it was half law firm and half accounting firm. And so that's kind of why, you know, we, we can plan on the legal side for as much as possible, just know that all of that has a tax ramification. And so I was lucky enough uh, at that firm to, to kind of work hand in hand with CPAs every day. So when we'd meet with clients, it's attorney, attorney, CPA, CPA, and then partners, um, business owners, that kind of thing. Um, and then just have that meeting, you know, and so hearing that every day and then seeing these business owners year after year coming back, just growing their business, learning from their mistakes was really helpful. Um, so I was with them for about six years. Uh, I left two years ago, um, have been on my own mostly, and then last year teamed up with these two other attorneys uh, and we office at 610 and Bissonette. They, 610 and Bissonette. Hi. Hello. Uh, you need something? I'm sorry. I'm looking for royalty. Uh, uh, it's not here. She said nine. He said nine and, and wrong. Yeah, wrong. sorry. <laughs> 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 go, go, go. Ahead. Looking for property? <laughs> I did that. Like a person called me accidentally. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, it's the wrong number, but just in case you need to sell a house. No way. He sold, I sold his house. No way. So that's kind of my background. Um, my, my two partners don't, they, they're litigators. Uh, but. For tax too? For, for uh, criminal? Uh, one does car accidents and one is like business litigation. So you do business, uh, litigation. litigation. I, I'd say 10% uh, or less of my practice is litigation. I do it. Honestly, I don't really like it. It's, it's transactional, so putting together these structures, drafting, reviewing documents. Um, I've been working, this year has been really busy for me in syndication work. So I have a lot of clients who are putting together syndications for large multifamily purchases or um, developments. And so we get together, talk about the goals of my clients and then the goals of the investors. Um, we typically try to avoid SEC regulation, so taking it through Reg D as much as possible. 
Um, I have one client right now who wants to go through Reg A, which is like really SEC invasive, um, but it's so they can do like public crowdfunding kind of stuff. So, so let's drill out to that a little bit. So let's say, you know, I have a piece of commercial property, you know, that I, I want to buy together with everybody in here. Yeah. You know, is that considered like a syndication or is it something like informal? Yeah, it absolutely could be a syndication. Um, if all of you are putting together a certain amount of money, uh-huh. depending on the, the cost of your project, okay. um, and then what you're giving them in return. So generally, the outline of that is, I'm giving you money, what are you giving me in return? Are you giving okay. me equity in your company? Or are you promising me interest payments? Okay. So depending on what I want as an investor and then what you're giving um, as a syndicator, okay. that, that's kind of how we'll talk about it. And then you're gonna you know, basically outline all of that. Correct. Okay. Beautiful. But you need to know the person in a venture to do a syndication. Um, not always. So, so yeah, depending on, on which route we take. So for example, um, in under Reg D with the SEC, you can't take money from only what are known as accredited investors. So you, it's your job um, to make sure that everyone that you're working with fits the definition of accredited investor uh, before you take their money. Um, for, but if you go under Reg A, you can generally solicit to anybody, um, and you don't really have to check to see if they have the funds. Um, there are restrictions when you go that route, though. So it really depends on the deal, whose money you're trying to get, and then what they want in return. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Cool. cool. Okay, so um, I guess my first tip or strategy or goal that I like to have for my clients is as much as reasonably possible, um, keep everything out of your personal name. So I was telling Hui and George earlier, I have clients who come to me with 5, 10, sometimes 20 uh, single-family residents, all with tenants, and no entities at all. It's all in their personal name. Uh, as an attorney, that scares the shit out of me don't have anything in your personal name, especially if there's tenants. I mean, tenants, while they generate cash flow for you, um, would be considered a liability, right? If anyone's gonna sue you, it's gonna be someone that you're working with, an employee or a tenant um, or a creditor. So uh, my first recommendation, keep as many things out of your personal name as possible. I have a question. So most of the time you clear a mortgage, for example, you rent something. Um, the mortgage or the bank will prevent from Preventing you from putting that property under the LZ or whatever name. Yeah. Uh, your name. So, how does that work? So, my response to that is there are lots of lenders and lots of banks. Um, and there. So I'm there's, telling you, there are lenders. I, I'm, I'm there, sure. There's an es- escalation clause. Yep. You deed it over to your your entity's name. If they find out, they can recall your your loan immediately. So they accelerate it, which means now instead of you owing payments, you're gonna owe all of it immediately. Yes. Um, just know that there are lenders out there who will let you refinance with them and then put it into another entity. Okay. So. Do you uh, have one that you can name? I have a bunch. A okay. lot of my clients are in the real estate industry. They're money lenders. They're 
they call themselves alternative banks, but I mean, they care more about either the property or the relationships. If you have a good relationship with them, they don't really care what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But these are not 30 year loan, right? Or are they These are usually commercial loan. Whichever you're looking for. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, this is kind of out, you know. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe you correct me, you know, but I did that, you know, to a couple banks. You know, nobody can, nobody check, to be honest with you. And, and you know, so it, it's a matter of, <laughs> it, it's on one side is you're doing it and who's looking and on the other side, right? If they do find out, just know that that clause is in there. Yeah. It's called an acceleration clause. They can say, hey, you did this, you weren't supposed to, you owe us the entirety of the note. Yeah. On that same token, it is a clause in a contract. It can always be negotiated. Yeah, okay, I see. So my suggestion for you is don't use the same bank for all of your deals. If they find out one, they find out for all yeah, of them. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if they recall one loan, you can probably yeah. take your one, but not all of them yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I like it, diversify. Just like, uh, you know, if my advice to you uh, is to not put an, anything in your personal name, to use a lot of entities, um, same thing, use a lot of entities for a different tax regime, use a lot of banks. Do, do you suggest if if saying a person have five properties, do you suggest them to have five entities, different entities? Or um, it really depends on what the entity, what the property is doing, and what the goals of, of the owner is. Five all rental properties. Majority of it is debt. It's okay. <laughs> so Majority so. Of your assets are on, on one end of the spectrum, you can do something like one entity, all five properties, or on the other end, it's five entities, one property each, right? Um, it depends on what you're, are you going to be transferring them anytime soon? Um, are you partnering with anyone? I typically recommend using the LLCs as, as risk buckets. Um, and then kind of coupling which risk liabilities you want with each other, right? Maybe you don't want like a class C asset next to your class A assets. Well, they're, they're, I mean, you still want to, what, what you want to do is, is segregate the, the risk, right? So if you have your class C tenants, um, you don't want them with your class A property, so if anything happens sure. here, what they sue, they're limited to, to what that entity is holding. So now I, I know I'm confused but if you deed over a property to your, to your LLC, when you sell it, but you have to deed it back before you can sell it, because then you have to submit a note to your, well, you have to, you have to ask for, um, to call pay off, and then you need to pay the bank back, but you cannot pay every LLC, things like that. So, in that situation, can you deed it back before? I'd say it's going to vary, but you can either deed it back or you can sell the LLC entirely or you can have the LLC sell it and then direct the LLC what to do with those proceeds. Typically, you'll be in control uh, of what happens to the proceeds. Um, I'll tell you, I deal with a lot of banks. I deal with a lot of like banks that take second, third lien position. They will take pennies on the dollar. They'll take whatever they can get in their hand. Um, that being said, they do not care who's paying that mortgage. They don't care. As long as they're getting a check, they're happy. Uh, don't give them any reason to say, hey, where's the check coming from, right? Don't make it look fishy, but as long as they're getting a check for that property, they're not going to come bother you. So 
so well, so how well, what to what extent you have to maintain the LLC because I know if you commingle the fund sure. together, it's not gonna work, right? Right. Um, let's talk about so we're talking about using these separate entities. Um, essentially, if you are buying a property and then having the entity manage own that property. Um, it's still you, right? So why does the law allow then for that kind of legal se separation, the segregation? Um, it's When you create an entity, you're required to go through uh, formal corporate compliance with that entity, okay? Um, so that means filing formation documents, keeping a separate bank account, not mixing and mingling funds. Those are all part of corporate compliance. Um, if you're telling everyone that you're doing business with that this is a separate entity, has separate assets, and I'm my own individual person, I have my own assets, well then you need, it needs to look that way on paper. So if you have a corporate bank account and you're treating it like your personal piggy bank, and then you end up in court, they're going to see that. They're going to say, okay, you're saying it's a separate entity, but really you're treating it like your own personal piggy bank. Um, and so they're in that case, they're going to uh, allow less protection. Um, when you do stuff like that, it allows for what's called piercing the corporate veil. Uh, that's when it looks like the LLC doesn't exist, and then they can go after your personal assets. Um, so have your annual meeting minutes, you know, have your operating agreements, um, keep track of your expenses, don't mix and mingle funds. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you had used, <laughs> you'd use LegalZoom to form your LLC, um, which is okay. They file the formation documents, typically they're doing what you ask, um, but they don't have a, they don't have the conversation with you. Like, yeah. what are you doing with this entity? That's what cool. tax classification should I have? Um, what are your goals? And generally, they don't give you something uh, called an operating agreement, mm -hmm. which dictates how the LLC is supposed to operate. Um, if you have an LLC and it owns assets, and for whatever reason you are suing someone, you're trying to foreclose on a property, someone's suing you, and you go to court without an operating agreement, the treat is gonna the court is gonna treat it like you don't have an LLC at all. I think they gave me some standard one. I think I filed two of them with them and they gave me this the same stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean you wanna understand it, right? Because yeah. an LLC operating agreement, even though it's just you, dictates what's supposed to happen to the money mm -hmm. when it comes in, who's taking distributions and when. Mm -hmm. Um, what can the members do? What what are they authorized to do on behalf of the company? Got so it. Just take a look. Make sure so it says what you want. Oh, all right, I can take a look. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, um, got a follow up question. You know, like uh, most of uh, a lot of people they create an LLC, but like me, you know, they don't maintain it really well. So mm -hmm. it's like any service out there that can help you maintain the LLC. Um, I'd say a law firm that you trust. Okay. Yeah, they can okay. help. Um, so you want to file like annual reports Stuff depending like on what yeah. you create. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think a lot of people they do that. You. you I highly recommend that you do. Um, your, your LLC should be filing annual reports um, with the state, with the comptroller's office. You should be having, at the very least, annual meetings um, with, if it's just you, just, you know, um, draft meeting minutes that state okay. what you did for the year, big changes. Okay. Uh, if you take, for example, if you buy like a company vehicle, you should notate that um, in your company minutes that it was approved for how much for what purpose. Absolutely. Let me tell you what. Well, <laughs> even though it's just you, you still have to operate like it would uh, if there was like eight people, ten people running that board, right? Um, the reason for that is, let's just say you take these deductions, totally legal, um, and the IRS decides to audit. Well, what's your proof that this was really intended for the, the company? It's going to be those meeting minutes. 
Um, I've absolutely been in situations where I have clients call me, hey, we're being audited for the last seven years. Can you draft all of the meeting minutes? Because they have none whatsoever. I'm like, dude. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so we have to go through all the big purchases, all the big expenses, any changes in bank accounts, any big um, acquisitions, that kind of thing. Put it all in. So for the bank accounts, the LC bank account, for example, like, is it okay for you? I don't know if it's considered for bank goal, but if you don't need the fund from the LC to do anything, you can leave the bank account to be almost zero. But if you need the, let's say you want to buy or sell property, you need to use the bank account. Can you feed the bank with your personal account with the fund? And just say you're funding your LC. Okay, um, so I feel like your question is a two-parter. Um, part of it is a legal question, and the other part of it is a tax question. I'm um, going to address the legal portion first. Um, cash in an LLC means is an asset, right? And so if you have someone suing that LLC, they're going to have access to whatever assets that LLC is holding. So the more cash you have in there, the more they're going to have access to, right? Um, I would say if you have an operational entity, don't use your operational entity as the same entity that's going to be holding your surplus cash. Right, that's what I was saying, like, you only fund it enough when you need a transaction to happen. And after that, you need to remove it. Have enough for operations in that yes. LLC. But and then surplus, keep somewhere else. What are your options? My, my question is, if I keep transferring uh, asset or cash from my LLC account to my personal account because I don't need it at the moment, I don't need it to sit here, I don't need it for any purpose, I transfer it back to my own you want to make sure that um, your tax repair and your LLC documents allow for those kind of distributions okay so as long as it's in the operation agreements that the distribution is allowed anytime any call by any member there you go okay. yeah Sounds good. <laughs> um, so, go uh, so I just want to finish uh, because that was the, the, the legal part of it, right? We want to remove assets, that kind of thing. But just remember that there are tax ramifications when you do that. I don't know what kind of entity tax regime you've selected. Um, sometimes when you make these distributions, those are taxable events. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's more tax beneficial to leave the cash in the entity and allow it to continue operations, reinvesting. Um, so depending on what you're doing with the cash, what kind of tax regime you've selected, it may or may not be more beneficial to leave the cash in there. What's the option for the taxes in the, the partnership? Yeah, so, so we're, we've been talking about LLCs mostly, but you have LLC, C-Corp, S-Corp, you hear all those abbreviations and letters. Uh, from a legal perspective, they're all doing or have the same uh, idea behind them, which is uh, liability protection, right? It's not you, it's the business. Uh, so if, as long as you're following the corporate compliance, you're um, using the entity as you're supposed to be, the law is going to allow for that sort of protection. Um, so what was the difference in all of them? Uh, it's, a, it's a tax regime. All of those entities are taxed differently. Um, and what I like to do is build structures that use more than one tax regime. If you have more than one tax regime, we can kind of select which direction your money is going to be treated depending on what you're doing, how much money you need in surplus versus how much you need in operations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us something about series LLC? Sure. Uh, okay, so a series LLC, I typically draw this out, but it's, it's so imagine one big square um, that owns 
a lot of little squares underneath it. Mm -hmm. um, a series LLC, from a legal standpoint, if used correctly, each one of those series, although it has ma one main component, um, each individual series is treated as a separate LLC. Mm -hmm. um, from a tax perspective, it's just treated as one LLC. But you said you have to maintain both separately. Each one of those series has to be treated like a separate LLC, so separate bank accounts, separate books, um, separate everything. So it's like a sub, it's like a sub account, but then at the end you only need to file one one Correct. Uh, it's going to be one tax return depending on how it's taxed and it's going to look like it has um, investments. So is it like more complicated to do serial LLC or do we need to keep multiple LLC separately? I would say that answer varies um, depending on the project. Sometimes it makes more sense to use individual LLCs. Sometimes it makes sense to kind of um, make them a series. I'd say it's more cost effective to make a series LLC, but it's not always beneficial for what your operations are. Why? Um, if you wanted to pick up and sell a, a group of assets, it, it, it's a lot easier to do that when it's a separate LLC than when they're a series. Does that make sense? Thank you. Yeah. Um, she mentioned this, you got LLC. Um, this is the same as single member LLC? or? Uh, okay, I love disregarded LLCs. Disregarded. disregarded. <coughs> yeah, disregarded is a tax classification. Uh, it means that it does not file its own tax return. Uh, so, for example, um, that go to your ten forty. Yeah, that's disregarded to you. Uh, so, what I like to do is create holding companies, right? Um, and I typically draw this out on a board. So, if you could just envision this, uh, it's one big square. Um, that's your holdings company. And then just imagine maybe six little squares inside of there. Uh, I'll call those six disregarded LLCs, right? Um, those are disregarded because each one of those six LLCs doesn't file their own return. So what does get filed is the big square. The big square files, if it's a partnership, it'll file 1065. And then on that 1065, the IRS says, okay, um, did you make money or lose money? Here you go. And do you have any investments? Yes. What are they? And the six LLCs are listed on that one ten sixty five. Um, when they say disregarded, each one of those LLCs has to prepare its own return, but you don't file anything with the IRS. So whatever each one of those LLCs did, expenses, deductions, whatever you're claiming, the IRS doesn't actually see. They only see that one ten sixty five, and then you keep all those, the ten, the six disregarded LLCs returns in house. So and the benefits of this. Uh, well, if you're making like heavy expenses and deductions, the you're not turning it over to the IRS for them to mm -hmm. review. So, so, so you're still taking advantage of offsetting your income, but you're just not setting. You don't have to show them. Correct. The correct. The IRS don't see your optimized <coughs> expense. Correct. They're not seeing what you're listing as what you're taking on those deductions. Is that an audit flag? Um, Potentially, that if folks are doing that. Not if you're preparing your returns to match what. Question, how's, that, sorry, how's the difference from series LLC and, um, and is it complicated to form a disregarded LLC? Uh, it's not, I don't think it's complicated. <laughs> um, so it has to have its own like EIN, uh, correct. So, so if, if you form it and you're the owner, um, it'll be disregarded to you, which means it goes on your 1040 on a Schedule C. 
right? But if we're creating it for the purposes of not having to turn in tax returns, you should probably not be the owner. Um, what's the difference between that and a series LLC? I'd say the main difference would be a tax difference. Uh, in a series LLC, we're going to treat it all as one entity. Um, correct, correct, correct. Yeah. When I, when I use an LP um, as your holdings company, uh, I use that also for the asset protection that we've been discussing, but there is preferential tax treatment for money that's distributed from a limited partnership to its limited partners. So uh, for my clients in real estate, I, I would call, I try to segregate the lines of lines of business. So I'd call like, like flips, one line of business, long-term portfolio holds one line of business, and then like uh, Airbnb wholesaling. So when they do flips, how do your clients treat their flip properties? Like how do they, what do they do in the home? Do they just form everything in the LLC or is this special? Do they have to do it for the flips? Um, ten, 10 clients, 10 attorneys, 100 different answers, I promise you. Um, the, I, I would say, what, what are your goals as a business owner? Are you paying yourself a W-2? Who are you working with? Where's your money coming from? Um, and, then, and then how long, how long are you holding these assets? <laughs> So let me just ask you uh, a different question, but you know, maybe I'm going to rephrase the question. You know, as a flipper, let's say you know who flip, you know, um, fifteen houses uh, a year. How should you structure your legal entity so that you can minimize the tax and still at the same time protect yourself? You know, in case you know sometimes you know something the buyer sue you, for example. Sure. You know. um, I'd say number one, use an entity, right? Let's try to keep things out of your personal name. Mm -hmm. Number two. Um, so you would call that the operational LLC, the one that actually stay on the title, buy, buy and sell, buy and sell using the LLC. Okay, L let me just give you one example of this last client that I met. That was with yesterday. Um, they do pre foreclosure foreclosure acquisitions. They pick up anywhere between five and ten properties a month, mm -hmm. um, and so they have three um, entities. That, imagine them at the top, right? Um, and those are all their, their acquisition entities. And okay. they arrange those by county. So they have a Harris County, Fort Bend County, and then Brazoria and Galveston County. Okay. okay, those three are the acquisition entities. Underneath that, they have another six row of entities. Each one of those entities does a different thing. So after the property is acquired, uh, either pre-foreclosure or foreclosure, um, it's acquired into the acquisition entities and then distributed into the one of the six. Oh wow, so they do a transfer title. Correct, depending on what it's doing, right? Yeah. If they're gonna flip it, it's short term, then they'll send it over there. Uh, if it's something they wanna hold on to, they send it over to that one. What's the reason that they split it that way? I mean, I understand why they do it by, by county, but what about Yeah, um, if you work at all in the foreclosure market, you know that it's a little uh, volatile. You have like redemptions, you have unhappy owner tenants, um, and so, they're what I'd call a little higher risk. Um, you see the rental as higher risk or flipping as higher risk? In the foreclosure market, I'd say a lot of it is, is higher risk. Um, because, I mean, when you're, when you're fixing flipping, your contractors could get hurt. You're, yeah. Um, they, and they actually just rotate. Uh, do they do a series LLC if they need it? No, they don't. They, they just use singular LLCs because 
the LLCs have a relatively short um, life. life, yeah, less than five years usually, and we're just constantly rotating, rotating them and moving properties. So, so your suggestion would be just maybe once a year to form a new LLC? Uh, no, not always. Rotating it. So let's continue. You know, acquisition LLC and then, you know, they rotate it into the, you know, different LLC with different purpose. Mm -hmm. And then what's next? Um, they usually stay there. Um, they have investors that they work with a lot. So sometimes the property will get transferred to the investor's own personal LLC. Okay. Um, it, it really, yeah, what the long-term exit strategy is. What would be the best way, like, Sure. Um, so I mentioned the LP earlier. Um, money that gets distributed from an LP to its limited partners gets a preferential tax treatment. Usually, save about fifteen point three percent. A limited partnership. Um, you can use like an S corp. S corps allow you to select two buckets that your money's going to go into. Um, the one bucket is uh, called a reasonable salary. It's standard to all. Uh, standard wage deductions, so your FICA, Social Security, Medicare. Uh, but then the other bucket is called a profit distribution, and it's not subject to those standard W-2 wage deductions. So, is there a uh, If you have already formed an LLC, you, tip, you ha generally have to make the S-Corp election within the first 90 days. Um, that's what the IRS says. They'll, they'll take it up to like two years, but three years. Distribution, is there like a, a, a deadline for distribution of the year end? Like, uh, let's say the LLC is just you and yourself, and you have to pay yourself, is there a deadline for that? And distribute it to yourself? Uh, no. So what you, sh what you shouldn't do is the profit distribution shouldn't be coming out like like a salary would because that, then it looks more like a wage, right? Um, but no, there's no, no deadline. You can so, pay yourself like a annual bonus or... or Know, every two three like, months. I guess just the, the fact question is: It too late now to pay ourselves for December? Because so we doesn't last year. For last year. I guess we I would work with your tax preparer on that. Um, if you have a document that says you approved for some sort of bonus to be paid in twenty nineteen, but just didn't pay it until twenty twenty. I don't see why the IRS would have an issue with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, so by changing the way you operate or what structure, um, a lot of CPAs who think outside of the box can use that opportunity to reduce your taxable liability. Uh, I was just mentioning the, the LP structure, which I'd love to dive more into at another time because I could talk all day about it. <laughs> um, do you guys have any questions for me? Your next tips. Okay, so <laughs> nothing in your personal name. Um, I'd say keep it as simple as possible. I mean, simple enough to achieve your goals, but not. I've created structures where it's it's umbrella, umbrella, shell, operational, right? Um, so we're trying to hide as much as possible, obviously, but. There are times when, when a structure like that won't make sense when you're trying to do things like get a loan or refinance because the bank's going to want to look. They're like, who the hell is this? Who the hell is this? Who the hell is this? And so that won't always make sense. Um, 
that particular structure that I just described though was for, for a client that owns payday payday um, services, uh, payday loan services. And so constantly getting sued, which means assets. I'm not allowed to advise you on how to hide assets, right? But if we're strategizing on how to best protect them, um, that's, that's kind of what they're for. So keep nothing in your personal name. Keep it as simple as possible when you're building these structures. I love, we've only been talking about entity structures, but um, I spoke earlier with George about using it like a trust. Uh, I'd say a trust is a great tool for when you start to do long-term generational planning. Um, once you start to have assets, either real estate or cash assets that you're holding in your portfolio, you know you're gonna keep and that you're eventually gonna pass down, let's start talking about what a trust is, how you can use it. Um, and are you all familiar with? No. Okay. I'm gonna give you a basic outline of a trust, okay? Um, again, sorry, I don't have a board, so. Um, imagine for a guess right here. Um, a trust is uh, essentially a separate legal entity, just like an LLC, but there are different components to it, okay? Uh, in a trust, you have three main components. You have the grantor, um, you have the trustee, and you have the beneficiary, okay? The grantor puts the assets into the trust, um, they create the trust documents, which is how the trust operates. The trustee operates the trust according to the trust documents for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Okay? You cannot be all three. Then it's, why is there a trust, right? Um, but if you're the grantor putting an asset in there, I would recommend having somebody else you trust as a trustee, and then you're doing it for the benefit of somebody else, family members, heirs, children, that kind of thing. When you do that, um, you're removing the assets from your personal name. You no longer own them. The trust owns them. So any creditor that's coming after you, your businesses, they don't have access to those trust accounts. Um, does that make sense? Can you gain back as a trustee? You just said I reverse it. Uh, so so for if we're creating these trusts, <laughs> I can see you do. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, you are allowed to alter the trust documents, so if you want to change how the trust is operating and who the trust is operating for, you can do that. If you want to regain ownership of the asset, you can, I wouldn't recommend it. You can if it's in what's called a revocable trust, you cannot if it's in an irrevocable trust. If you're doing this for the purpose of asset protection, you'd create an irrevocable trust. We can change the, the beneficial. Correct, correct. Um, okay. And I, now again, I would, I would never recommend you being all three. Um, if you are the grantor, you can be the trustee, but you cannot be the beneficiary. Now, can the beneficiary be your L entity? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's your entity. It, sh it yeah. really, really shouldn't be. Why? Um, well, so we're talking worst case scenario, right? If you ever end up in court, someone's coming after your assets, you've been sued, so there's scrutiny on what you're doing, right? Um, there are attribution rules, which basically means even though it's not you, it's your entity and you're still in control. What the court's looking at there is, are you in control of what you put into that trust? If you're the essential beneficiary, then you're still in control of what's happening to those assets. Um, if you want to talk about maybe putting money somewhere and then still controlling it, um, you've heard of uh, like nonprofits, 501c kind of entities. Um, you can create one that you own and operate and then put assets over there and then be on the board for that. Um, and it's not taxable. Correct. 
non-taxable to the entity, and as long as the entity does what it's supposed to do with those cash and assets, so there are ways around it. I wouldn't use an entity as a beneficiary, but you can create like a trust um, and then make a 501 maybe the beneficiary. What, what do people usually do with that 501? Um, a lot of what my clients use it for are the tax benefit. So instead of donating, um, to a 501 that you don't have control of, you create one that you do have control of, and then you get to dictate what happens to the funds. So you saying you, you open an organization that helps poor children, you can control that money Correct, too. correct. You know what's happening to the funds, you're, you're making sure the money goes exactly where you want it to go. But the money cannot make any profit, you cannot make any profit from that. So, so a non-profit organization doesn't always mean that it's not making money you're just you can't operate it like a profitable corporation does that make sense so if you have people that work for that nonprofit, they can still get paid you can still accept donations um, you just can't have an entity that's operating for the purpose of profiting mm -hmm. so if, if you can I don't want to give you a yes or no, I'm sorry. Because once you distribute, you have to incur tax. You can't make a profit, so that entity shouldn't have like a surplus of cash that's profit. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, saying if you have a hundred thousand and you put it into that non profit and then you distribute it to the third world country, that's gone. Right, correct. Or, or if you're paying your employees. Um, so if you have a non You can be an employee of a nonprofit, correct. So you have a nonprofit, so you make a hundred thousand dollars profit. Okay, let's say. So you have to use pay all the employees hundred thousand or what happens to the hundred thousand? Well, as a nonprofit, you're created for the purpose of uh, either like re religious benefit or social welfare, that kind of thing. You're creating it for, for uh let's say military veterans, we want to donate to military veterans. There you go. So if if you've received you know, $100,000 that year um, in, in donations, then you have to uh, contribute to the cause. Contribute to that cause. Correct, correct. Okay. So anything above your cause would need to be donated to that cause otherwise, or distributed to your employees, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Okay. Correct, but you're in control, you've created it, you're not just giving it to so, some organization you don't know or trust. So my next question is, um, you know, 1031 exchange, right? You're yes. familiar with that. So if you keep rolling your money, and then starting at time, like whenever I'm 50, I have a lot of excess on 1031 exchange, but I don't want to pay any tax on that. But I heard that you only can take advantage of that and pass it to someone when you die. So um, it's a little tricky. I'd say use 1031 money um, for, for money that... Or for projects that you are just gonna continue to grow, right? Right. So essentially, tax deferment, which means we're just kicking the can right. down as long as possible. Right. Um, that being said, that means you can continue to kick the can down to whoever it is you want to. 
that's usually what they would recommend um, so you can get the most tax benefit. Otherwise, I mean, at some point, if you do decide to stop the 1031, there's a basis in there that's probably going to be pretty low um, and you're going to have a pretty high capital gain. Yeah, but what if I, I pass it to my daughter and my daughter wants to sell it? Generally, yes. Um, at that point, I would absolutely recommend you sitting with your CPA and your attorney um, because there are there are things that are allowed, like that allow for a step up in basis. So essentially, if you pass something, um, if you pass something along in in your will, um, generally the recipient gets a step up in basis. Um, the fair market value of what it was when, when they get it and not when you got it. Yeah, and there's also a gift tax, and estate tax, and all other taxes. Yes, um, right now, I believe our estate gift tax is at $11 So if you die with over $11 million in your state, it's going to be taxed at about 40%. It's a lot. Spend it because you can't take it with you, but... Um, we can absolutely plan for reducing that number as much as possible, right? When we say die in your estate, um, we're talking about things in your ownership. So again, what does that mean? Don't own anything in your personal name. Reduce your personal estate as much as possible. Any other question about trust? So, I mean, that, that was a really, again, really brief outline skeleton of, of how a trust operates. Um, Feel free to give me a call if you have any other questions. I've seen some trusts do some wacky, crazy things. Um, I have clients who use trusts to operate their, their real estate businesses as well. Um, just know there, I mean, there are benefits, but there are also limitations to what you can do inside of them. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. So let's say a scenario, you're like a brand new agent, you know, or an agent that, you know, real estate agent that has been business for, for a while. They do everything in their personal name. So what would, what would you recommend? Can you incorporate trust into what they do daily in their commission and stuff like that? Because I know my sponsor in EXP, you know, like whenever I saw a commission check, it doesn't pay to Amanda, it pay to an Amanda Trust. And yeah. you know, if you look her up, you know, she's broke as hell. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I want to see, Yeah. right? You can absolutely, yeah. Um, so you can use a trust to okay. operate Channel a business. all your income into a trust and then somehow still take expand from it. That's the way I see them do it. Yes, um, you have to be particular with what's happening there, but absolutely, um, because remember, <clears throat> trust have to operate for the benefit of the beneficiary, okay. and if you're the grantor, you cannot be the beneficiary, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're a trustee, you can absolutely get paid for operating the trust. Oh, I see. Um, it, if a beneficiary is someone that you're close to or have control over, we can maybe use that to direct some more money I'd say if we go that route just know you're kind of giving up some control mm -hmm. so we either need to build in ways for you to regain control or build in ways for you to just continue that generational planning so is that a good setup for a real estate agent or do you have any other structure that would you recommend for a real estate agent typically uh, if you're just getting started or you haven't been operating for too terribly long um, you might need access to some of those funds. Uh, so all of the stuff that we've been talking about so far, I'd say they're all different tools. Um, you should use them all. You should use them all, if not simultaneously, then at different stages in your career. Um, because there are times when you're gonna need 
just a handful of LLCs to run your operations, right? Um, and then there would be times where you need some sort of umbrella company to hold things, move things. So I come back to trustee uh, roles in the whole picture. So trustee can usually, like, in a management situation, what do people, who do you people like to be trustee? Um, and then, so let's say you have income, you go to the trust, right? You run expenses, then also come out from the trust. So it's just acting like a self-directed you know, IRA, for example. Which expenses? Like, let's say you need to purchase something in relation to this operation. So if you have if you have income um, directed to a trust, it won't have its own expenses unless it's owning an asset, right? So if you put like a, a property into the trust, then it has expenses, um, and so that trust would pay expenses on behalf of that property on behalf of the trust. Well, it can be cash. You can just put cash into a trust. Of the trust. Marketing fee, for example. So who would be so the trustee would be the authorization party for the expense, right? To pay the marketing yeah. fee, correct. Okay. So who's normally uh, taking the role of the trustee? Um, so the name's right there. You should select someone that you trust. It could um, be an entity, it could be a profession. It absolutely it could be an entity, it could be a law firm, could be a CPA firm, it could be Is it a complicated process for the approval of um, that would be inside of the trust documents that's created by the grantor. Okay. So yeah, you can. Correct. Or you can like a dollar amount, an annual spending limit, however you select that the money should go out of the trust. Okay, and then it's the funds, the income, I would call it, and the expenses. Would it sit in an account, like a regular bank account, or what kind of? A trust will have its own bank account. To whom? Because remember, to the trust, to the fund. like you have income, you have expenses. That means it's operating. So would have operating income or loss. Well, remember the trust is created and operates for the benefit of the trust of the beneficiary. But if they don't take it out, then it's not taxable. Correct. Well, to an extent. Yes, so we can use it as a tax planning tool, um, and then generally it's your beneficiaries that are paying the tax on what's distributed. Or, or alternatively, if you draft it, um, you can have the trust pay the taxes on behalf of the bene of the beneficiaries when they're distributed. Okay. okay. So Just I assume that the, the trustee and the beneficiary they cannot be related like husband and wife. But what about how far? Like, what about mom, mom and son? And, uh, so you can write anything you want in there. Uh -huh. um, it's a matter of. If someone ever takes a look, is there going to be a problem? Okay. Um, I'd recommend not having such a close relationship like a husband, trustee, and a wife bene yeah. uh, beneficiary. Yeah. But but a uh, father son. Father son yeah. should be fine. Yeah, or any other family member. Okay. Yeah. Is there a company out there that's actually professionally operating as a trustee? Yeah, absolutely. There are. Um, or trustee. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then 
generally, whichever if you use a law firm to create your trust, they'll they'll happily act as a trustee on your behalf. They generally do charge you for that. And the grantor, the trustee, can be the same person. They can. Um, I'd be, I'd be a little wary, uh, depending on what your goals. If you're just doing, if you're creating a trust for a beneficiary because you love them, um, and you want them to have the best life possible, then yeah, you can be the grantor and the trustee. Um, if you're doing it for asset protection, we're trying to keep things away from creditors. Let's have a different conversation. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that like I said. Do you guys have any experience in the cannabis industry? Um, I currently have a couple um, cultivators. I have um, some retail clients as well. Uh, was there any specific? So me and my buddies were you just messaging me about hey we just got we just submitted for our trademark and everything. And just kind of the next steps, I'm already working with a producer. They sent me the master service agreement or the supply agreement, so I'm kind of reading over that. Kind of what, a, what will be our next steps to, um, so what am I missing in kind of the overall process? Because we're, it's just three of us, so sure. it's not like there's a ton of people. It's more of like, okay, are we missing anything important at this point, or should we just kind of just get sales and then worry about all the setting up the legal entities and whatnot, bank accounts? like that okay there's a, a lot of different parts to tackle here um, what specifically will you be doing will you we be will be so b2b so we've already got retail shops so you're not cultivating we're right not cultivating. you're you're taking product Correct. and then selling uh, not white labeling yeah. white label okay yeah. um, white labeling THC or CBD CBD white labeling CBD I would recommend yeah, get an entity. If you said you filed your trademark already, yeah, we just filed it. Out. Who's owning oh. the trademark? Um, one be, of the guys. I guess was, one was, of you it individually. Was be in all of our names. Yeah. You, and so. I'd recommend having an entity, and then having the entity own the trademark. Yeah, that's what we were gonna do. But yeah. just in terms of time, we're like, let's get this done now, and then can we amend it later on? Um. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we were thinking. We'll amend it because we also thought why don't we get all of our, all three of our names on there first just yeah. to be safe. The the, the um, USPTO is, is kind of slow, so you're not going to hear back from them for at least three months. Okay. Um, before anyone even looks at your application. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because is there any way to expedite that? Not unless you know someone there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I feel like there's a, too much worry about. This trademark thing. I feel like let's just get some sales to these retail shops because they already are interested in our product. Gotcha. Just a matter of. Um, a, tra a trademark is something that should happen. Um, it never happens fast, but you should do it if you if so you care about your brand. Set up the entity. set up an entity. Get get your partners together if you haven't already put together like um, an agreement between the three of you. Not just an operating agreement, but you want some something that dictates the roles, responsibilities, expectations of each person um, with respect to not just the company but with each other and that just be will be that the title that agreement exactly yeah yeah for sure okay. and we also do trademarks too if you need assistance wow. yeah I, what is the so I charge a thousand dollars each mark um, your name is a mark and then your logo is a mark as well and that includes the filing fee um, 
we kind of go in, check the database, see if you have any conflicts, okay. and then, yeah. And the total here is a little over a thousand. Seven fifty for the lawyer, two twenty-five for filing. Yeah, so it's $50 cheaper. I know. <laughs> <laughs> already well, you know, processed it, so try it now. As far as, as far as your legal team and your accounting team, you know, there are a lot. You just work with someone you're comfortable with, someone you like. Yeah, um, because he's, sure. he's friends with his attorney. Yeah, so yeah that, and that's what I'd recommend, you know, because you want to trust the person you're working with. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. It was very nice to meet you. Thank you. I don't, I've been networking my ass off, but I'll email you. Thank you. Nice to you guys. So set up the agreement amongst us. I'm guessing I got to read over that supply agreement from the producer, manufacturer, get all that signed up. Yeah, are you guys in at a storefront? Yeah, my buddy up in Dallas, you know. Okay. Um, so we already have the, the place. Just I don't know what he's gonna do about that's that's on his his side to deal with. Yeah, I mean after that you just want to make sure your operations are in place. So make sure your your supply is good. Um, maybe have a couple alternative suppliers in place, and then have your your buyers. So how would you set up say I guess the bank accounts and everything? That's kind of where in my mind I I've been planning to do some research on how to. What's your concern? Concern is how all the funds will go in, and then kind of, I think we kind of touched on it earlier distributions, tax benefits, tax advantages, disadvantages. Did, uh, when you like, set up your LLC, or you haven't set up the LLC? No, I haven't set up yet. Okay. Um, we can have another conversation outside of this if you want, but um, I'd sit down with with your attorney and or tax preparer, your three partners, and talk about um, your goals with respect to the money. So if some or none of you receive W-2s, you know, you can use this entity to kind of pay yourself that. Or if that's not a goal, then select something else. Yeah, I don't think we've gone yeah. <laughs> that deep into that conversation yet. But like I said, we're kind of I, I think the next conversation as we jump down the cliff, right, as they say. Uh, so. <laughs> I see that more more often than, yeah, I, I definitely, okay. there's, there's no problem. Um, just, just know that it should be done sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to answer any questions. Is there a way to protect yourself from property management? You know, because property management is very famous for being sued, right? So is there any way to protect us as property manager? You know, I like, um, so if you have, I, I assume when you're asking, you have a couple different assets, and then you hire a property manager to manage those assets. I want to become a property manager, oh. but I try to protect myself from being sued from on other party. Gotcha. So. You know, I have clients who own a bunch of different assets and then are also the property managers. But typically what I do is say, okay, why don't you create your own property management company? Mm -hmm. So now we have you in control of a property management company that controls the, the properties. Yes. Um, so what you do there is you're, you're separating risk and liability, mm -hmm. right? If for whatever reason any or all of those parties ever wind up in court, it's really who did something wrong, if it's just only the property manager or just only the property owner, that's how you've kind of separated that risk. Uh, I think your question was, can you ever stop, or is there a way to reduce someone like, from suing you? No, if someone's upset enough to sue you, they're gonna sue you and everybody else that they can. Um, so what we're talking about then is 
how do we do how do we reduce the exposure? Yes. Um, and uh, sorry, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'd say don't have any of them holding like surplus cash, right? Even though this is your property manager and they accept all the rent on behalf of the properties, if they get sued, they're gonna get sued for everything that they're holding, which is just gonna be cash at that point. So let's say if I file a property manager company and then I have all these investors that like I'm gonna manage their property, I have to create a separate LLC to hold, to manage those property or what? Um, I'd have to really sit down and draw out your specific uh, scenario, but I typically, if you have like a pool of investor money, I have only the investors and their investor money um, tied to one entity. All that cash is here, all these properties are here, and then there's a property manager here. Property manager manages the properties, cash goes oh. wherever it needs to, but the investors aren't actually doing anything, mm. and so the investor pool won't ever be sued. So what he's trying to say that whoever do the work is supposed to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm already exactly poor. Right. Who doesn't do the work, you know, sign the back, you know, is the one who own the asset. So you gotta separate them out. Yeah. And then keep them as far away from each other as possible. Don't have employees, you know, working for the investor pool company. Um, yeah, keep them separated. And the only thing that should be existing between them is some, some contract that allows for the money to go back and forth. Okay. Is there an easier way to use your money when it comes to business? Like saying I have four different businesses. Do I have to open four different bank accounts and every time when I use that money for that business, I have to use that card? Is there any better way? Mm, no. No, <laughs> yeah, you, once you start, I have clients who like have, so they're, they're like franchise owners, you know, and so they'll have like 17 different franchises, some within the same franchise group, um, each one of those cards, at the very least the franchise groups has have its own card, and so once you get to that point, you probably just want to get an in-house bookkeeper um, and or accountant. Um, because on the front end, you want to keep track of it, and then if you're not, then you want your bookkeeper to kind of go in and keep track of it. Um, because, remember, what we're doing is creating this this separation of, of liability, um, and it only exists because you're treating them as separate companies. When you start to let them all mingle, when they all start to look like the same company, worst thing happen, worst case scenario, and you end up in court, then the court's going to say, no, this is all just one company. What about uh, Wyoming? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm sure you're referring to like an anonymity, yeah. um, forming in states that like have a lot less stringent requirements than Texas. So Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware, um, they're pretty lax in what you put on their documents and they're pretty tight, strict with who gets to look at their documents. Um, just know that A, there's no structure that can protect you from criminal liability, and then B, the IRS has a strong grab with American accounts. Sure. Okay. Um, but just for, I guess, you know, not to make it too complicated, but you can have a Wyoming entity that owns the Texas LLC. It's my years. I do this all the time, right. um, but only when it's necessary, yeah. right? Um, I don't like creating structures that 
don't really fit what you're trying to do. But yes, absolutely, you can have a bunch of Texas entities owning Texas properties owned by a Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware entity, right. umbrella company. That goes by and the benefits advantages of that. So I'm not familiar with. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, um, the benefits would be for anonymity. People use those states because they don't want their name on stuff. Um, those states uh, don't really have. So right now, if you have a Texas entity, um, you can generally search it, and two to five clicks later, you're gonna know who owns that Texas entity. That's not the same case for a Delaware, Nevada entity, Wyoming. Um, there have actually been cases where, so you know those, um, you know those, when you get arrested, those like mugshot, um, mugshot websites, it has like post, post, poster mugshot or whatever. Um, a bunch of those sites got sued and there were actually two of them that they could never even get served uh, because they were formed in Wyoming and they couldn't find the owner. Yeah. <laughs> I risk business, yeah. But I guess it's more, it costs more for you to have an out-of-state LLC. There are additional costs associated with forming an out-of-state LLC. Um, I, I don't think any of those states have different tax treatment, but they do have, they know that people come to them for these kinds of shelters, so they charge uh, a little more an for annual upkeep. Um, and then you have to, every entity every has to have a registered agent in the state that you form. Um, and so if you're forming out there, if you're if you can't be the registered, you have to hire somebody to do that on your behalf as well. Yeah. So PO box has to be there. Generally, your registered agent cannot use a PO box. Um, sometimes Texas, it's funny because you know you're submitting these formation documents. Just know that on the other end of that, it's, it's a person looking at it, right? And so sometimes people aren't paying that close of attention so they let these things go by some people are like oh Tyson I have a PO box on my uh, on my LLC every once in a while they'll prove it it's because someone's not paying close enough attention or yeah but generally you're not supposed to have a PO box as the address for your entity the IRS won't allow it for uh, I'm sorry the Secretary of State won't allow it for a registered agent and occasionally the IRS won't accept it for, for your documents as well to answer your question, George, anonymity um, sometimes is necessary because occasionally it becomes cumbersome. Um, I, I'd recommend it only if we sit down and you tell me why you want it, and then I'll tell you if it's going to meet your needs. Right. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I was just thinking, like, is it absolutely 100% protection even if you put your assets? I'm not sure if you answered the question or I relate. So, like, let's say I got sued, I, I put everything on LLC. So if they sue me personally, would I have 100% protection or still have some loopholes that people can still get to my assets? Sure. We touched on this briefly earlier, and it's a matter of did you do enough things to either um, follow the corporate compliance? If you follow the corporate compliance, the more you follow the corporate compliance, the stronger the argument is for the asset protection. If you did things like mix and mingle funds, um, not upkeep your annual minutes, the less it starts to allow for that kind of protection. Um, and again, nothing can protect against criminal liability. Um, so I'd, I'd say when you have the asset protection conversation, um, talk about what you're trying to protect against and then what assets you're trying to protect. Uh, and then whoever you're talking to should give you a couple different options. Um, is it 100% 
if you're doing everything that you're supposed to be, it's pretty strong. It's very, very, so for example, if you have this Dell laptop catch on fire and kill everyone in this in this building, right? Someone's gonna sue Dell. Um, does that mean that the officers, the employees, anyone individually can be liable for what happened with that Dell computer? Probably not. Same thing with, with your entity. So even though it's your entity, you're the officer, um, you're not gonna be personally liable for what that entity did. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's say we, if you help us to find the structure of the business and if we get sued, will you help to defend them? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on why you got sued. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't really like the litigation part of it. I see it every day in my office. There are 12 other litigators. Um, depending on why you got sued, I, I, give me a call. Give me a call. Say, hey, Tyson, here, here's what I'm worried about. Uh, you know, I have clients who I have a client who's a he's a contractor, and yeah. him and his team were um, remodeling a portion mm -hmm. of a, a two million dollar house. One of the subcontractors um, left something on, started a fire, yeah. and then more than half of the house caught on fire. Mm -hmm. And so he came to me and was like, "Hey, my contractors messed something up. I need I need to structure." And so we sat down. Kind of talks because um, there are things called fraudulent transfers. Mm -hmm. um, you're those are illegal. You're not allowed to make fraudulent transfers for the purpose of tax evasion, for the purpose of like hiding your assets. But you are allowed to operate a business, and in the course of normal operations, uh, and as a business owner, you're going to do things like structure, move assets around. Um, so fraudulent transfers not allowed, but proper tax strategizing is allowed. Um, so if that's something that ever concerns you or you hear about it, give me a call. How about prenup? Do you do prenup? Yeah, so, no, no, I don't do them. Oh. But, I mean, they operate just like any other agreement we've been talking yes. about, but they just dictate personal relationship instead of a business one. Okay. So speaking of, you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So speaking of spouse, so if I form an LLC with just me and two other guys and we all have spouses um, their name is not an LLC but you want to look at what's called a buy-sell agreement um, buy-sell agreement dictates what happens to the shares and worst-case scenarios between the partners um, it typically includes things like divorces um, between yourselves and, and the spouses because what you don't want I assume what you don't want is a divorced spouse to try and come after the shares of the three partners right but don't they have do they, can they claim? I mean, they, because I, I guess the money I contribute to the LLC come from, you know, our account. Not if you have a proper buy-sell agreement. Okay. Give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I was going to ask a question. So, as a real estate agent, we help arrange contractor uh, and subcontractor to the house all the time to do the repair. What if the subcontractor did something so in the situation the scenario that you've just described uh, remember there's somebody else on the other end of that is that's so upset that they're gonna sue people right right um, so if you're if that's me and I've been dealing with you and and now I'm upset I feel like you're not making it right, right. 
or maybe you are trying to make it right, but I'm still out. Yeah. For my loss of this property. The house caught on fire. Yeah. Well, then I'm I as the homeowner am probably going to sue everybody that was involved, and then just let the courts figure out who owes me money. Someone's going to owe me money, right? What should I do to protect myself? You, um, if you are the uh, realtor, I'd make it very clear that you know you're not part of the contracting team. So although you're recommending them, you're not involved with any of their actual operations. But no, can she recommend someone that's unlicensed? It's not supposed to, right? Um, yeah, I'm going to give you the legal answer. It's <laughs> no, you're supposed to be diligent. And Is it, should I sign the paperwork with a seller saying that I am going to arrange contractors to your house, however, if anything happens to your house, I am not liable for it. Make them sign. You, you can have, uh, like, release documents is what you're referring to, just, like, you're pre-releasing your, your liability. Mm -hmm. um, you can have them. Just remember, what we're talking about again is worst case scenario, I'm upset, I'm going to sue you all. So pretty much there's no protection for us. you have something, I'm going to sue you, and then we end up in court. You know, maybe the release works and you're good. Maybe you have proper asset protection um, strategies in place. And even if they win, they're not going to get anything. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Well, just Same layer, layer of protection. You know, the more layer you have, the better. Right, right. So, say if, if someone makes 200K per year and then they got sued for 100K, and um, all of my assets is in an LLC, so if that person sued me as the realtor, they don't get anything. So, all of my income go to my LLC. And when that person sued me, they sued myself. Well, they'd probably be doing business with your LLC, right? So there's a there's a contract between you and your client. Yeah, but the contract is me, myself, and that client. Mm -hmm. Okay. Only when I get paid, then the company pays the LLC. Okay. So then, yeah, they're probably going to sue you individually, and you're going to have nothing in your personal name. Right? Do they do something like medical collection? Like they will collect portion of your income per month? Um, so, so there are like judgments that they can try and collect or attach things to. Oh. Um, it, it's sounds like harder to enforce, right? If they know where your bank accounts are, if they know where your assets are. So just be like OJ, don't make any money. Don't don't work for anymore, right? Don't make any more income. Hey, there's a reason, you know, Amazon didn't pay any taxes. Um, and it's because tax strategizing all the way. So it seems like you need to have a good team up with a CPA who wanna work in pay with a lawyer. Yeah, yes. Um, like I said I I work with a lot. I actually still work very heavily with the firm that I was previously at uh, because they, you know, understand these structures. They understand how they operate. They understand why we built them. Um, I've also, along my journey, just made a lot of contacts with a lot of CPs that I like. Okay. So, uh, 
if you if you're in need of some, I'm happy to shoot out a couple emails. I always say, you know, here's like three different people, talk to all of them, see who you like. Is there anyone like you know that's like Tom Wheelwright? Um, no, do you know Tom Wheelwright? The the rich, <laughs> that poor dad, uh, <laughs> CPA guy. You know how much he charges for a session? Like too much. Seven grand. Seven grand. Just to. Just to, to say hi. Just to say hi. Sounds worth it. Tax-free wealth is the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's franchise now, I heard. Yeah, it's franchise. Yeah, he, yeah. My experience with all the gurus is that, you know, they just use the name for marketing now. You know, when you actually do the work with them, it doesn't really, you know, that, that good anymore. Yeah, <laughs> no, so that's seven grand oh, just to crazy. access to the that's access. Yeah. Huh? I think he charges clients like 50000 or something. Yeah, the seven grand I was telling you, it's just to access to this to the database. Yeah, it's not that it's for doing your tax. You just get yeah, doing the taxes even more. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Just do a 1040 EC. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's awesome. 1040 easy only if you have like W two. Yeah. Where do you see people getting into trouble the most as a independent contractor? Um, I see my clients get into trouble all the time. From every, I mean, trademark infringement to like, uh, we're suing someone right now. They own a business on the first floor and a business on the second floor flooded uh, and ruined the first floor business. Wow. And, you know. How did it get flooded on the second floor? Um, it, was, it was their equipment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, all kinds of stuff. Can I tell us some, like, some of the real estate related yeah. stuff that, yeah. that is like your most worst nightmare? Okay. Okay. Um, I have a client who uh, did a flip. Uh -huh. So acquired a property, flipped it, um, sold it, and then like three years later, the purchaser came back uh, and sold uh, and sued them for the entire price of the contract um, plus damages. So it was like three times for non disclosure. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, they claimed there was uh, like foundation issues. Oh. <coughs> yeah. That's why we recommend them to get the inspection. All the, all that happened. Yeah, inspection yeah. happened. Unfortunately, uh, my client was the original seller. Um, that was only like his third deal ever, and so that was done in his personal name. Oh. Yeah, and it's. It's like it's like a million dollar damages right then now. What if the really? foundation? Yeah. What if so the foundation? It's is that the work that's done that they did not disclose? Or there's foundation issues at the time of the purchase that they did not disclose? Uh, they're arguing that there were issues that weren't disclosed. Okay. What if? Uh, what if they argue like you're going to argue? I, I don't. I'm not aware of it. I can only disclose what I'm aware of it, right? And that is the argument that we're making. Yeah. Um, we're gonna let the courts figure out whose responsibility it was. Okay. So is, is that still an active case or is it already closed? It's, it's still active. Okay. So I can't tell you too much, but I see. there's no statute of limitation for uh, for perps for those. I mean, um, after ten years, I mean, they, what's the? Yes, I forget exactly what it was, but we're still for 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 it's three years. For a disclosure form, it's three years. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So they still like up a tree. like Or like I've had, man, I've had like. Terrible tenants uh -huh. stay in the property. The last one we had stay in the property for six months, no pay, not paying rent at all, at all. Wow. Just taking it through the um, foreclosure process. Professional squatters, oh, in, wow. and I know they were professional squatters because 
at one of the eviction hearings, another attorney came up. He's like, man. I've evicted this lady before. <laughs> like, no. oh my God. So what's the lesson so, there? Yeah. Background check? What? Next yeah. Time. yeah, make sure you know who your tenants are. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, like for flippers, right? Um, sometimes you will buy like properties that's needing some fix up, and but they were tenant occupied at the time that you closed the house. So their lease was with the previous landlord and the landlord sold it to you and you want them to be out as soon as possible with minimal trouble so that you can flip the house as soon as possible. What are the risks there and what are the documents or the procedures that you recommend the flippers when they purchase the house to do to mitigate those risks? Sure. Occasionally a subsequent purchaser will be bound by the um, existing lease. Mm -hmm. Occasionally they won't be. Uh, so it sounds like if you're looking for a fast exit strategy, make sure that you're not bound to the lease um, that already exists. Um, outside of that, you know, we're talking again about worst case scenario, upset individual wanting to sue. And so let them know, hey, you know, we're the new purchaser. We know you have six months left on this lease, whatever. We'll, we're, mm-hmm. we'll trade you cash for keys if you leave in one. Okay. Something like that. Do we need to sign a new lease? Because technically it was under the name of that previous. If you're planning on keeping them in there for any considerable amount of time, I'd recommend signing a new lease. Okay. Yeah. But what if not? Just like a month. Give them some time to find the new place. Um, no. I'd say no it's case need. specific. Yeah. Um, no need. Yeah. Okay. What about what if they kind of just want to stay there and you file eviction, but you don't have a lease with them to file eviction? Uh, so you're going to bring into paperwork that you're the subsequent buyer. Um, you're going to want to show the court uh-huh. why you had the right to evict under the original lease and then that you're the subsequent. Uh, because most contracts have what, what are called assignable rights. Uh-huh. right? So you have um, party A contracting with party B and they're bound to everything that's in that contract. Um, usually party A can assign those rights to party XYZ and still be bound to party B with whatever's going on in the contract. Okay. 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 With assignment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but do we need to kind of ask them to sign some sort of addendum that they agree to move out or give notification that they need I'd to recommend move it. Out? Yeah. Okay. You don't have to. If we're talking about that specific scenario, yeah, I'd recommend it. Give them specific terms, dates, okay. timelines. To move out. And do they need to sign off on it or is it more of like, I serve you the notice and that will be sufficient? Probably based on the lease contracts, right, with the previous... So courts like, they like us to be um, a free contracting society, right? They want me to do business, um, with owner, to contract with you. And so they'll respect, usually, what's written in that contract. Just know that on the other side of that, courts don't like people to be homeless. So they're not going to, like, <laughs> get out right now because you said you would get out right now. Yeah. Right? Um, so I would always recommend, if you have... An agreement, yeah. write it so down, even if it's like a month long, okay. and then ask them to sign it so yeah. that if for whatever reason you do end up at court, hey, look, judge, this is what we agreed on. Here's their signature. They're still here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, what are the scenarios, like the case that you were talking about, right? What, what makes the tenant so like, legitimate to stay there for six months without paying the rent? Yeah. Um, excited. <laughs> you just, I mean, I, I know I get to see just the craziest stuff. Um, this, this particular tenant, she just, she knew the system, so she knew what to say to the judge, um, for the judge to say, okay, you know, 
take another two weeks to get your stuff together. Um, at the end of the two weeks, what they do is file an appeal. When you file an appeal, what you do is you get an automatic 30 days, and it goes from the JP court to the district court. So there's the 30, there's, so your initial one is gonna be 30 days. Judge give them another two weeks. File an appeal, you get another 30 days. You go to the appeals court, do the same thing. Um, know what you say to the judge, they'll give you another month. <laughs> this lady was really good. Um, Emotionally or like legally? Like, like it's both, it's both, because it's still judges. It's still, it's still a person on the other side of that gavel, right? Yeah. And so again, judges like to be fair to all the parties, but they don't like people to be homeless. And they're not going to do, They look, it's called um, being equitable, and they just don't want to keep people out on the streets like that. Um, so we got to appeals. They finally brought up, they're like, we don't know who actually owns this house, because it was one of my clients that had a couple different entities, um, and it changed hands a couple different times, and so she called that into question. They sent it back down to JP court, and then we had to go through it again, JP district court. And then we find, finally, uh, when I got up there, um, they're like, well, it looks like there's, there's a, a title issue, and we can't resolve that here. I'm like, no, 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 we've been here already. Let me show you. So I pulled up the case history, and they're like, you have 30 days. Oh. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So what did she say? <laughs> Every soft story, story in the book. Yeah. I, I'm old, I'm dying, my grandchildren. Do you see uh, less litigation in the industrial space? Uh, On the commercial side? On you know, the commercial side? No, just different litigation. Really? Yeah. yeah. I would think maybe like... Uh, RV parks or self-storage or like maybe they have less uh, each one of those just has different different liabilities like we have a client who owns um, some self-storage stuff yeah and they got flooded you know so they don't cover uh, their insurance so the tenants sue them for their yeah for their lost yeah content yeah I mean, they have, have insurance but it's, it's an ongoing suit it's yeah. a, so they were trying to sell. They're selling, so they had like eight. They're trying to sell a bunch of six of them, like six of them bunched together, yeah. and you know, it's just a liability that they have to disclose because um, it's ongoing suit. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought. Yeah. I guess the their the property insurance doesn't cover content of the. Uh, oh no, not property insurance. No. So he, he should have had, uh, like overarching, umbrella, umbrella insurance. Okay. Yeah. Just for that. Mm-hmm. Insurance is nice. Um, like we were talking about earlier, the, the Watson, the explosion in Spring Branch, you know, insurance isn't always going to cover everything. So. Yeah. So I, for, for umbrella insurance, yeah, I know you're not an insurance agent, but uh, so I have like a million dollar, just say a million dollar umbrella, five properties. Um, so I, I think, what is it? They, put, they had to put name all five uh, LLCs. If you had separate, like say five different LLCs, you just had to put them all under that umbrella policy at the time. If you buy another property and put that property under that umbrella. Because I, I just heard you had constantly have to, I guess, up, make sure the insurance the insurance knows what you own so they, I don't know. Yeah, and again, I don't yeah. work too much in the insurance, but you want to make sure what you're doing, what you're owning is covered. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's only covered when they know what they're covering. Yeah. They all try to deny you anyway. Yeah. They absolutely will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. 
you do recommend to put each property under each LLC for protection? You know, not always. You don't always need one property in one LLC. Mm -hmm. I'd say use them in, in groups that you're comfortable with. Three or four, three or four. Yeah. And we talked about it earlier. If you have class A property, put it, put it together with one LLC. If you have, you know, stuff in class B and F, put it in yeah, another yeah. one. Or, I mean, I, I have a client who had a bunch of properties, um, and we organized it in, in how he wanted to pass it down to his children. Uh, so he had four children. Um, it was just, okay, this group is for this child, this group is for this child. So all different tools depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, I have another client who organizes it by um, zip code, so all of his seven, 007 is from one LLC, and all of the other. Okay. Yeah. What is your company's fees and everything? Sure. Um, set up? Do you have a card? I'll send you an email. Sure. Um, but it, you know, I try I to keep I it. Okay. We, we work with people. Okay. I'm not sure if you remember. Awesome. So. Um, I try to you know be competitive with other firms, um, or at least provide a little more customer service than legal Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that you tell people to avoid avoid using like legal Zoom just because there's just temp boilerplates and or these are. I'd say if you're forming like a single member LLC and you know what you're doing and you know how to use it, legal Zoom's cool. If you have partners, if you have anything other than that, what I just described, yeah. probably not. It's like a ten forty easy. But I do everything on a flat fee basis, so if you and I get together, we determine a project, I'll put together a scope of work, I can usually tell you how much the entire thing's gonna cost. I don't like billing hourly. I know most people don't like receiving hourly invoices. There are definitely litigation cases where I have to bill hourly. But yeah, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have a hearing, um, I'll be hearing on Tuesday for a real estate case that I took, um, and it's the craziest real estate case I've seen so far. Tell us more. So, my my client was was pro se, which means he represented himself um, for at least a year and a half of this. I'm coming into it very late in the game, and so I'm just. I'm learning as much as I can from everything that's been filed and then everything that opposing counsel has filed. Um, but there are at least eight different lawsuits regarding the same property, um, six in district court and two in federal court. Um, and most of these lawsuits were filed by my client. Why did he file? So there was some foreclosure that I can't tell was or wasn't supposed to happen. Um, there have been like listing agents trying to list the property and then he's filing like um, injunctions, temporary restraining orders, uh -huh. so that they can't sell it. Yeah. He's filed a bunch of list, pen list pendants. Um, it, it's really a mess, actually. I, I wish I could tell you more as to why these exist, but mm -hmm. all, all I know about the case is what I've read um, and then what my clients told me, but I know I can't trust everything he's told me. <laughs> so his, the crux of his argument is that uh, the foreclosure that occurred was outside the statute of limitations. So if you're a bank uh -huh. and you file a, and you send a notice of default, uh -huh. you typically have, uh, I think it's like five or six years, a statute of limitations 
um, to execute a foreclosure. Uh -huh. His argument is that that happened outside of the statute of limitations, which means the foreclosure is improper. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the crest of it. That's what we're going to court for on, on Tuesday. Okay. But so he sued the bank? Banks, three listing agents. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're going to be. Oh, so that's the seller? It's a bank and a trust. Okay. Um, but the person who's suing is a seller? Assuming the listing agent, the bank. Kind of nutty. Why does they he want to sue the listing agent? What do they do? They cannot list the property without his permission, right? They don't have to do anything. Trust me. You don't have to do anything. Trust me. Like you said, if you're mad, you must be everyone. Yeah. But your broker should have some kind of. E.O. E.O. insurance, correct. Right. So it's like super easy to sue somebody here, super cheap, or why? We're in America. Um, litigation is rampant. Um, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but it's pretty easy. Because okay. I gotta tell you later, like you know, I try to sue my neighbor because they sue me. My lawyer was like, no, 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 it's not a good idea. And, you know, I was like, bullshit. Some, sometimes, if you have the money, if you have the resources, you can sue anyone for anything. Yeah. Are you gonna win? Maybe, maybe not. If, are you just trying to harass them? Exactly, you know? that's what I'm trying to do. But you know, they're like, you know, they are like, you know, they so shocked. I was like, shocked. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not a litigation lawyer. Yeah. I, I'm not. You he knows know, someone. I know a bunch of litigation lawyers. Yeah. And they love it. <laughs> they love it. I just want to harass them, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> is that the neighbor in Spring Branch? Yeah. No, it's the, my tiny house on, on maybe. <laughs> the Spring Branch is fine because it's got no description. Oh. And this one, you know, the lawsuit got delayed until August. And I know they broke. I just want to, you know, you know sweet them out. So your neighbor sued your HOA suit? Huh? Your neighbor sued your HOA suit? My neighbor, not my immediate neighbor, you know, but these... Oh, your neighborhood community. Not really, it's just someone in a guy who buys a bicycle and walk me back around. <laughs> they don't like my tiny house, so they just sue me, that's it. That's oh it. My God. <laughs> to be honest with you. Together, like five, six people, they move there together, like four grand, and then they, they just sue me. That's oh. it. No, seriously? Yeah. How is it settled? I thought it just is one it guy. not settled yet? Huh? Is it no, settled? no, it's not settled yet. So, you know, long story short, it extended all the way until August. It's been over a year now, right? I know. But, you know, they didn't win that injunction. Mm -hmm. So I do whatever I want. And I know they broke. You spent all that, I wonder. I just to harass them, but I think I got the wrong lawyer. But, you know, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really care about the outcome anymore. Oh, <laughs> oh, I like that. I have money to spend, huh? <laughs> I have some of those too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very nice meeting all of you. Yes. Thank you for your time. Yes. I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.